I think just the word, I think the term probationary period to me just feels very wrong. I, I agree. There's other terms. How am I already in trouble just by joining the job? Right? Um, <laughs> like we're hiring you, but you're on probation. <laughs> Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, check us out at whilewewereworking.com. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of While We Were Working, the show that helps you become a better small business leader or a small team leader. As always, I'm your host, Joey Price, founder and CEO of Jumpstart HR, along with my awesome co-host, Summer Keytron, who's our consulting practice manager. And today we are going to dive into two incredible topics that will make you a better leader if you pay attention. The first one we're going to talk about is upskilling and how that might play out in a small business organization. The next thing that we're going to talk about, and you don't want to miss it, is no holds barred conversation on the 90-day review period. Is it still a thing? Should you be doing it? How can you do it effectively if so? So you don't want to miss that that part of the show. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us at hello at jumpstart-hr.com. And as always, we provide HR services for small businesses and startups. So if your firm's looking for a fresh start in the new year, reach out to us at jumpstart-hr.com. All right, Summer, let's tackle this Forbes article about upskilling leaders. What you got? Absolutely. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining our show. And if it's your first time here, our While We Were Working segment is where Joey and I take a look at uh, news, blogs, uh, really anything happening in um, the, the business and people leadership space. And we select a topic to talk about that we think you might have missed because you were too busy working. I will break down the article, let you know where we found it in case you'd like to read the whole thing and just share our thoughts on it, um, how it applies to the space that we work in every day. So our article uh, was in Forbes at the end of October, and it's titled Upskilling Leaders is Essential in the New World of Work. Now, if you caught last week's show, you know that Joey and I also chatted about uh, what topics we would include uh, if you were to do a one-day training for managers. So I thought that this article was timely. One of the items in this article uh, was that 50% of learning and development programs in 2022 are actually focused on leadership and management training. So I'm going to pause there and ask Joey, what do you think of that stat? Uh, well, so if you also recall from the last uh, episode that we did, I talked about getting a baseline expectation. If we were to do a one-day manager training, um, what would that look like? And I believe that people really need a baseline expectation of what does it mean to be a manager. And so to hear that 50% of leader of all training is leadership and development, it tells me, or I would gather two things from that. One, I think that um, there's obviously a captive market because people need to step into leadership and step into management. And so having tools that help them are great. 
but also it, it it makes me feel like maybe more companies are operating at a deficit than we really really are honest about because if half of all training is about leadership and management that isn't the same type of breakdown in a typical organization where half of the team members have leadership capacity leadership capacities and the other half do not in addition to that it also tells me that maybe we are um investing so heavily in the leader in the training of individuals who are already in a leadership role that we might be neglecting incredible independent contributors or uh, folks who don't have a leadership role that uh, may in their exit interview say they're going on to get opportunities for growth and development. So I look at it from a couple of ways, uh, but that's very interesting. I was I was very shocked to see that stat in the article at 50 percent. I was too. And, you know, anything that has the word upskilling in the title is going to catch my attention, you know, similar to other trendy terms that we've seen pop up. It's really nothing new. It's just called something new. I mean, it's talking about development, right? Developing your leaders. But I think upskilling is a term that has caught a lot of attention because there has been a focus in organizations, um, primarily due to a highly competitive labor market, where this concept of upskilling, looking at your existing workforce and finding ways to actually help them build the skills that you need for the growth and roles within your organization, as opposed to looking outward. So, I mean, I think that organizations uh, should have been doing this all along, but I think it's become more of a necessity lately. And in summarizing some of the points of this article, you know, the question that I asked myself is like, well, why? Like, why now? Like, why is this? Why is this happening? And it's primarily because with this significant shift we've seen over the last few years to fully remote or hybrid work. It's not the same type of leadership and management that most of us have experienced in the past. So it, it kind of makes sense to me that there's this renewed focus on leadership and development and that it's primarily due to the shift of like how we're working and managing our teams. Yeah. But do you, do you think for a little bit that maybe this could be uh, what I would consider uh, like leadership porn in the sense that we're so uh, we could be so obsessed about the topic of leadership that we fail to to tackle the topics that people really and truly need head on. And we think about this overarching, almost um, motivational or inspiring aspect of becoming a leader without the the drill down that we covered last episode about effective one-on-ones, getting buy-in from your team, staying in the context of the law. Like <laughs> right. these these are are topics that aren't as aren't as sexy so to speak, but those are the ones that actually move organizations forward. And so I wonder cuz I I've, I've got I've got friends who, you know, will binge a leadership uh podcast or will take leadership training, but then will go back to work and there's nowhere for them to uh, exhibit those those skills and that they've learned because their their work culture is just like entirely different. 
Um, so, so I don't know. Um, just to play devil's advocate for a bit, I think some of it might be uh, aspirational training without practical application for for where people are. Well, it's definitely it's definitely difficult to say. I think that you know, referencing again the article and you know and what company what some companies have been working on through this training it it does make sense to me that it's you know it's become more uh more prevalent this year i th- you know we talked about kind of that remote and hybrid work shift i think some managers have an easier and just kind of natural ability to make the adjustments necessary and they i think they're just more intuitive and they they can figure it out but you and i know joey like really just depending on employees to just figure it out as a leader isn't a successful recipe. And one of the other items that this training has commonly had a renewed focus on is that that concept of like how to foster inclusion and belonging and how to make your remote teams feel connected when you're not gathering uh, in person and how to be inspired. So I think you know, managers can definitely use help in these areas. But to your point, Joey, if they don't have the foundation of the training that we talked about in our last episode, honestly, I'm not confident that any of this, um, you know, kind of more warm and fuzzy training is going to do them any good. Yeah. And, and, and before you send someone to a training, uh, you want to make sure that if there is an intentional conversation, at least there's an understanding of what are the gaps in the organization, what are the gaps in uh, their role or skill. And gaps don't mean deficiencies. They don't always mean deficiencies. It can mean opportunities, right? For example, uh, mentioned last week, one of our members of our team recently got certified as a, as a disc coach, right? So that's an opportunity for us that we didn't have um, within our organization. And we also recently brought on a scrum master and that's an opportunity that we, we have had historically in the organization, but had gone a a little bit without. So, um, think about how a training will impact your organizational strategy. And then that will help make sure that when a person comes back, they're able to plug in and, uh, and utilize what they, what they've learned and truly upskill instead of instead of be stagnant. Well, I think it was a great topic to chat about. I appreciate that Forbes highlighted uh, you know, this surprising stat that I don't think any of us saw coming. In fact, gosh, it's been almost a year. But I remember when we started the pod, we had actually had a discussion about the lack of training and we referenced some of the stats about how the vast majority of managers have never been provided any sort of managerial training. So I'm glad to see that there's, uh, you know, a focus on it now, and hopefully it will be going into future years. Yeah, I hope so too. All right, let's make a swift transition into Consultant's Corner. Uh, Consultant's Corner is our weekly view from the trenches of the good, the bad, the ugly about life as an HR pro in small business. Uh, We've seen a lot of things. And uh, if you have a question that you want to tackle on this part of the show, go ahead and send an email to hello at jumpstart-hr.com. And that's going to be your place to get your question responded to on the show. 
Um, so th- one thing we've seen quite a bit is the 90-day intro period or the 90-day probationary period. And the question was brought, what do you think about them? What about at-will employment? And really, what's the purpose of a 90-day probation period? Summer, as our consulting practice manager, who uh, we've recently brought on more team members and our team members manage hiring and onboarding for our teams, I'll let you get first crack at this. Um, give your, your thoughts on on uh, on the 90-day probation period. Oh, man. Well, I, you know, it's, it's funny that this topic came up because I have a, you know, a pretty firm opinion of them personally, but I find that that's um, typically quite different than others. And, you know, that's the nature of our work, that, like, we may have a personal opinion, but our, our role is to help businesses and leaders implement the processes that, you know, they believe are going to be best for their organization. So I need to give um, kind of the reason why I feel so strongly um, against calling something an intro or a probationary period. Um, So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, It's primarily because I'm in California, which is an at-will state, probably on the extreme end of at will if there was a spectrum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that, um, you know, kind of just, I'll start our conversation, Joey, by saying, I definitely see that they are useful. I think that they work well in some organizations when they're used properly. And perhaps we'll talk about that. Um, But I think that there's definitely advantages and disadvantages to them. And that's kind of what I talk our clients through if they either have one or are considering it. So um, for me, um, I typically recommend against them specifically for California employers and others if they're willing to do without. One, because I think as a new team member, um, I can look at it a couple of different ways. I can look at it like, okay, I've got to really bust my buns for the first 90 days and hopefully I'll be good enough. And then I spend the next 90 days stressed out about whether I'm going to do enough in 90 days, then really spending that energy in a better place. Yeah. What about then the other side of that is, hey, I just need to make it to 90 days and then I can coast, right? (laughs) And, And I mean, that's the problem with it, right? In absence of this concept of 90 days, then I believe the expectation is, hey, like we understand there's going to be a ramp up period. We understand that you know, it's going to take time to be more efficient and have a depth of understanding. But, you know, if we are continuing to define what these steps, what these goals are, and then share feedback as to are we being successful or do we have um, more that we need to work on to get to where we need to be? I mean, ultimately, that's the goal, whether it's in 90 days or, or less or more. So I do feel like putting it, like making it very time bound to me feels problematic for more reasons and it's beneficial. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to the uh, time bound nature of an evaluation period. But what I would look for um, is, is the language and the framing around it. And so instead of saying it's a probation period, it's a, a intro period. How about just reframing it as uh a coaching period or an orientation period or, uh, you know, a inclusion period where you take someone who may have their own um, 
work experience and background, and you're bringing them into the organization so that they get to know the keys to success uh, at your firm. Some people may need only 20 days to, to get up and running and feel acclimated. Some people might need 180 days to get acclimated. Uh, that's a, a episode for another time about like, you know, when do you when do you fire? But the truth is, it's so important to just be intentional about ensuring the person is successfully brought on into the organization and that they successfully have the tools they need to succeed um, in your in your organization. And it's not, you know, about firing necessarily, but um, it's more about how can we set this person up to win? And I'm assuming that you've had a, a pretty good uh, recruiting process, but even that can be, be disappointing sometimes. Um, there's a stat that says 60% of turnover happens in the first 90 days. So we're not all getting it right. We're not all perfect. It is a, it is a, uh, I was going to say a crapshoot, but uh, <laughs> it, it is le- left up to chance sometimes, chance and opportunity. So um, that's my thought. It's less about emphasizing, you know, probation and more about <laughs> bringing someone into the fold and making sure they're set up for success. Yeah, I think just the word, I think the term probationary period to me just feels very wrong. I, I agree. There's other terms. How am I already in trouble just by joining the job? Right? Um, <laughs> like we're hiring you, but you're on probation. <laughs> and I think my, my, you know, I talk about kind of my personal struggle with this is I think really seeing how they are administered in organizations it is typically not ideal. I guess that's kind of where my, you know, kind of my frustration with it comes into. And I'll give you some examples, Joey. Organizations who maybe have implemented a process that on the 89th day, they're taking a hard look at like, well, should we fire this person today? Or are they good? Like, that's really not what the intent of this is. Or looking at it from an angle of, well, like we're not going to really do our due diligence like we should during the hiring, like the interview process, the hiring process. If they don't work out, like we'll just fire them in the first 90 days. Oh no. (laughs) Right? So it's like, well, we got a probationary period. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, hold on, time out. Like this is not what this is intent. Like it's not intended to be a Mm band-aid. Um And, you know, just the concept of at-will employment, you know, I talked about that a little um, at the very, like at the very beginning of this segment. And, you know, the idea of at-will employment being that it's for, you know, no determined amount of time. I do think that some employees here, 90 day intro period, and even though they're at-will, even though it's made very clear in many other ways, there is this misunderstanding that they get at least 90 days uh, to show their, you know, their employer what they can do. And that's just not, not the case. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. You're right. There's no, well, so imagine an organization that, um, you know, has this, this probationary period and then someone's let go, but maybe there's like a, a default uh, like severance amount, right? That everyone mm-hmm. gets. Well, someone can show up, work for three weeks, quit, and then get the severance. Mm-hmm. Um, and in California, if you know you give leave up front, and then 
they work for two, three weeks or whatever, that counts as, as earned income. And so companies sometimes feel like they can, they can afford the turnover. But if you really stopped and looked at what it all adds up to from a dollars and cents perspective, from a morale perspective, from a churn perspective and having to, you know, do the onboarding processes all over again, it can, it can add up. It can add up. Um, so, so yeah, what, what else you got? Any other thoughts you want to talk about with, with regard to probation and, and 90 day periods? Yeah, there's, there's two things and I, I want to make sure that, uh, I'll try to talk about them quickly, uh, in the interest of time. One is a common question about like, can we have a different uh, performance improvement process during our probationary period versus outside of it? Like, do we, if, you know, somebody's on the job 30 days and very clearly oversold their skills is a really strong mismatch for the position. Like, do we still need to go through our traditional process? And my answer is always, well, it depends because if it's, so apparent that this individual, despite any coaching, any development like PIP, will not be able to meet the minimum requirements for the job, then no, like I don't think it's necessary. Like if you're in that intro period and it's very clear that there's no opportunity for them to get on track, then yes, let's let's part ways. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, beyond that, again, kind of going back to kind of this impression of what the 90 day period can give the employees, like once they pass it, they're good. I do think if they've made it that far and their, their performance is starting to suffer, then assuming that it's not, you know, kind of that prior issue of still like such a drastic disconnect, then yes, we should be putting them on a performance improvement plan. If they've made it that far, then committing to a little additional time um, shouldn't be an issue. And I think aside from that, it's really just looking at um, what are the alternatives for these. And I'm a believer that, you know, if you're a company who's comfortable going without this concept of a 90 day probationary period, make it a 30, 60, 90 day check in. So it's less of this probationary period and it's more of those coaching sessions like you spoke about, Joey. And I think that's a much better approach that's going to have a very different effect um, and like just general perception on the process as a whole. Just like most things here on the show, it all leads back to culture and the climate that you're creating in your organization, whether it's one of a fear or one of um, stability and progress and giving people the opportunity to learn and grow. So. Really great discussion. I feel like uh, this episode and last week's episode go hand in hand because we we were really in our um, performance performance. Uh, it's performance season, so it is. We're we're doing our own performance management here at the at the firm, and um, what better time to talk about our reflections and thoughts uh, on the show uh, when we're like actively actively in it. It's definitely top of mind. It's been a great episode, Joey. Do you have anything to add before we wrap up this one? I would say, you know, uh, we post quite a bit, whether it's podcast or content, uh, quite a bit on the ideas of performance management and recruiting because you don't get to the first 90 days without uh, recruitment uh, doing its job. So if you 
see a need in your organization where you would like uh, some expert support to uh, get some awesome recruiting and onboarding and first, however long your coaching period is going to be to set an employee up for success, go ahead and reach out to us at jumpstart-hr.com and we'll be more than happy to schedule a 15-minute chat with you to learn about your business goals and how we might support your growth. So that's all I got. Well, it's been a great show. I think we're on episode 51. Oh my gosh, next week's going to be a whole year. I think we're going to have something to celebrate. But yeah, appreciate everybody joining our show today. And uh, until next week, um, you can catch us on LinkedIn Live um, and also um, on all other platforms where you catch your favorite podcasts. See you then. All right. See you. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights, check out whilewewereworking.com.